This Week in Startups is brought to you by Zendesk. The best customer experiences are built with Zendesk. Qualifying startups can join their startup program and get Zendesk products free for a full year. Visit Zendesk.com slash twist today to get started. And LinkedIn. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and we got an amazing episode. For the first time, we're going to do brackets. What are we going to do brackets for? The 2010 through 2020 period. We are here in 2019, about to go into 2020, the third decade of the new century and the new millennium. It's crazy. With me to fill out our brackets of what were the most important trends and stories of the teens, not the aughts, right? That was 2000 to 2010. This is the teens, 2010 to 2020. Gary Tan is back on the program. You were on episode eight. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> About a thousand episodes. Yeah. We had you back. Yeah. Which is typically what we do. We wait a thousand episodes, so you'll be back on in 2029. Hopefully sooner, but... Uh, but a lot has changed for you. When I met you, you were doing Posterous, which was my favorite social media service of the time. Thanks for using it. Uh, it was amazing. You would email the secret email address, oh, and yeah. it would take your photo off of your BlackBerry and post it to Friendster, MySpace, whatever. Yeah, all the proto-social networks, and Facebook only had, I don't know, a million, two million users, something you like that. You were way too early. Yeah. You, would you wind up selling it or shutting it down? Uh, Twitter bought it. Twitter bought it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're a venture capitalist. That's right. Uh, along with Alexis. Yes, created Had Reddit. initialized. Yeah. You guys are on your second or third fund? Uh, fourth fund, officially. Fourth fund? Yeah, 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 225. But we wow. started with 7 million uh, in 2012. Wow. Yeah. So you guys have been- uh, We've grown up. You've, you're all grown up. Yeah. Coinbase is your big win? Yep. Coinbase, Instacart, uh, Cruise with this guy. Yeah, very yeah. well done. Awesome. And Zach Coleus is back on the program. Of course, he is uh, started as a, uh, well, you were an entrepreneur as well. And then you were one of the first syndicates on AngelList yep. and then decided, ah, screw it. I'll just create a $50 million fund. Both now, syndicate and fund. Ah, I'm, I'm a unique beast there. Yeah, uh, we like have the, the same whole, structure. The whole fund is designed to facilitate the syndicate structure alongside it because it's a superpower having those, you know, I have 1,800 people who help me on deals now. Like they do diligence for me. They send me stuff. Like they tell me when I'm being stupid. It's like, how could how can you beat that? Like it makes this fund look tiny. I got 1,800 partners. He's got what, five? Nothing. Yeah, you probably have under 99 LPs, I would assume. Yes. Uh, we have 3,300 members of our syndicate, oh, yeah. and Russian. it's a similar phenomenon where we use them for referrals. It's like having this incredibly large scout program. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and uh, so here's how it works. Pretty straightforward. We're going to do our big wins for the decade and our disasters. We have on each side eight choices. You get to put in one wild card. Uh, and first up on wins is ride-sharing. Which, of course, I think was the biggest in terms of uh, market cap of companies in the last 10 years versus wearables, the story format that um, Snapchat pioneered, or your own fill-in. Where did you wind up, Gary? Did you go with wearables, story sharing, ride sharing, or putting your own? Well, as a VC, I feel like this is a little bit cheating, but you know, everyone says AI and ML. Yeah. But you know, I, I, put, I wrote an AI and ML. And All right. I think that we're still at the early days of what's actually happening there. Right. It seems to me that the next decade will really be the MLAI, but it did start this decade, so I think that's a strong first pick. Yeah, I mean, deep learning, all that stuff, only in the past five or six years, computer vision, man, it's actually happening. It's happening in a major way. You have an investment in one of those spaces in yeah. the um, supermarket space. Yeah, standard cognition. Oh, yeah. Uh Cameras only. So Amazon Go comes in. Amazon Go works great, but it's really expensive to build all of those shelf sensors. Retailers can't actually afford any of that stuff, yeah. but they can afford uh, a bunch of cameras and a server in a closet. So thank you, NVIDIA, for those Volta chips. The GPUs are really nice, yeah. and it means that uh, computer vision can actually work. Yeah, and we had the founder on the podcast. Basically, you could just take a bodega or a 7-Eleven slap these cameras up and people walk up, grab shampoo, grab a, a coffee, yeah. and it just automatically charges them. Absolutely. And it works. Yeah. Uh, but it's not out there yet. Just um, Amazon Go. This is the year. This is the year. Yeah. They have some yeah, big yeah. things brewing. They, There's a store in San Francisco you can go to. A market. Yeah, a market. You can actually do it. That's right. 
but they have some partnerships. So they're the weapons dealer, Standard Cognition. That's right. They're going to be arming everybody versus Amazon. Yeah, and that's the big trend that you see overall. Yeah. That was episode 977 for those of you, uh, Jordan Fisher. Yeah, one of the best computer vision engineers we've ever met. Zach, ride-sharing, wearable story-sharing, or did you fill in? I, I'm going with Gary's call on AI. I'm, I, I didn't think about that. That was a smart call. I think he's right there. AI right. is like, if you think on a broad basis across all the startups, like in my portfolio, AI is truly moving the needle forward for probably half the portfolio. Yeah. We just sold a company called Apprente to uh, McDonald's for a you know, very large exit, and they're just Congrats. like literally a small team that basically built AI for drive throughs So now you no longer need somebody to take the order. You just go to the drive through you talk to the mic, and it basically makes a perfect order yeah. for you. Like, so there's, there's just, it's such a broad-based phenomenon that like, uh, I think Wait, you're saying the drive through is going to get your order right? Oh, it's right. It's perfect. It's better than the human. Like, I always it's felt like really it was good. like this, the concept of yelling out of your window into a broken microphone on the side of a freeway was just never going to work. Man, yeah. vote Andrew Yang. When I hear that kind of stuff, it's like Andrew Yang. Oh, you're talking about UBI. Oh, I mean, it means Universal jobs are going income. away. The idea that somebody is forced to sit at a cash register and take your order and put it incorrectly 14% of the time into a register makes oh, yeah. no sense when we have a supercomputer in our pockets. And when we have uh, voice recognition being so close to perfect. I don't know if you guys have a Pixel 4, yep. but Pixel 4 voice recorder if I were to put it out on the table right now and just record this, it would be 90 plus percent accurate. It is scary. And that's all AI. It's just yeah. understanding the context of what we're saying because when in, your, in the case of your company, when you're ordering the McDonald's and French fries, it knows the McDonald's menu. So it's using AI and machine learning yeah. and the noise of that particular drive through. Yep. It's going and to the accents of and the vernacular of people who live in that, like if you live in New Jersey, you talk different than if you live in California. Oh, let me get a frying over here. Exactly, you yeah. know over here. Yeah, but I think like to go, back, to go back to the Andrew Yang question, I think, I think like the most scary thing is is you look how broad based this is going to be and how quick it's going to be. And so traditionally, economists are like, oh yeah, we we lose jobs here, we pray some someplace else, but we've never seen the speed that this is going to happen at. Like in the next. Five years, trucking, long distance trucking will no longer really be like it'll be obvious that job is dead. Like, and I mean, that's like one of the biggest jobs in America. And so when this happens across the board, across every industry, like mm. the destruction that we're going to go through as a sort of a society is, is pretty scary. All right. I went with ride sharing. Yep, of course. I'm personally biased. <laughs> a little bit. Being the third investor in Uber uh, and making a career out of it. But I will say, I think actually these two things are not uh, disparate. If you look, I think part of the reason we have low unemployment in this country is because of the gig economy. And I think the reason we have rising wages is because the gig economy gives entry-level workers the ability, and even you know maybe the next step up, the ability to say, you know what? I don't want to work for you. I'm just going to pick my hours. I don't want to drag my ass into the Apple store or to Target and do some morning rah-rah meeting and work the hours you want. I'll just do Postmates or Instacart or whatever on the hours I choose. Yeah. And in a way, it's almost like a UBI. It is a universal basic income. It is like a, a gig economy because you can pick how many hours you want to work if you live in any of the major cities. All right, next up, Amazon Prime, which became a juggernaut. We're all members of Amazon Prime's cult. We don't even know what we pay. It's 150 bucks, by the way. Oh, yeah. Nobody even knows what they pay. And nobody cares. If it was 250 nobody would cancel it because it's such a life changer versus 4G LTE. I went with Prime. I thought that was an easy one. Bandwidth, of course, is going to go up. I don't think that was any big shocker for people. But Prime, boy, has that been uh, an amazing determiner of behavior. People will pay more on Amazon for the same product they could buy direct from the company that makes it just because it's so much easier and trustworthy to click it on your Prime account. What did you guys pick in the uh, four, I actually chose five connectivity. Round? You picked the LTE, okay. I did. I, I went with Prime just because it's it's really, I think, in a, in a like it's a representation of what's coming. Like uh, there's just so much power in underneath that. I think we're going to see like a doubling on a doubling on a doubling. Yeah. So like I'm, you know. I'm an engineer, so I love tech and I don't like, I think business model innovation is amazing, but uh, it, you know, the tech is always more breathtaking to me because if you combine that with AIML, what you have is, I mean, you have autonomous cars, like these yeah. things do actually run on these networks. And so, you know, Jetson's future look like, it's not here yet, but this combined with the other 
it's yeah, going to come. You seem to be leaning towards things that are emerging will have an impact in the next. Oh, yeah. I'm going with what had an impact in the ten, 2010 to 20. Okay, that's a good reframe. Period. Yeah. So I went with Prime. Now, here's one. Model 3 in our 3.6 bracket. Tesla's Model 3, which I drove here today, the best car on the road. <laughs> uh, or Disney buying Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar. Um, and they picked up a color, couple of smaller things there as well. Which one of those was the bigger win of the uh, for you guys? Tesla for sure. I mean, it, the the it's breathtaking amount of tech they've built. World class engineering teams. Uh, they've done you know, a lot of the things that they said they were going to do. A little late, but that's okay. It takes yeah. time. They were on Elon time. Yeah. What about you? What did you pick? Yeah, I picked Disney. I think it was the first step in the chess game for the you know the trillion dollar entertainment market was Disney making those moves that then lead up to the next one we're going to pick. Like I think that's I mean that's literally changing the entire entertainment world. And I mean if you think about it, all those jobs that we are about to destroy are going to be replaced by VR and entertainment. So we're all going to be plugging ourselves into the matrix in the next few years. Yeah. So Disney's just getting ready for that. And that's So we get a little game. bit of UBI drip drip. We yeah, get the IV bit. drip of the UBI, yep. couple of dollars a day dripping you into our money bank anymore. House, You're in VR. And then we drip 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 that to Disney. Well, when you, when it you sounds have like ML the movie the Matrix. plus VR plus a neural implant you're done, right? You're we like, are essentially the, the setting up the matrix. Like, the computer's like, oh, you like that? I'll give you some more. And then it's just like, Absolutely. You're just, you're you want Boba so Fett? Here's the Mandalorian. Oh. oh, you prefer Han Solo? We'll go with that route. Here we are in the matrix. Yeah. It literally is the, the beginning of the matrix. That's how we get there. Uh, I went with the Model 3 because... You're a little biased. A little biased, but I thought the, the, the self-driving features have gotten so robust and I think he's further along than people think he is. I don't have any inside information, but I do think he's a little bit further along than people anticipate. And it turns out LIDAR, which everybody thought was going to be required, maybe not required. What do you think? Think the LIDAR is required or not? Because he made the bet that he can do it with camera vision, right? And other sensors. I think they'll get there, honestly. I think they'll like... be able to figure it out. But yeah. Can we talk about Tesla haters for a second? Yeah, that, those people are bizarre. Oh, man, it's really intense. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, actually, I think a lot of those people don't think that there's not, they, they sort of reject the fact that there's so much capital seeking yield. And that's why Tesla to me is this paragon of finding great engineers, throwing them in a particular direction, and then the Tesla haters hate that they're able to turn that capital into real technology that then gets shipped. And right. it, it doesn't seem like it should exist. That's part of it. And also the audacity to um, just put a date yeah. and a time frame on, you know, this innovation is something that before this people weren't willing to do. You know, Steve Jobs would kind of take it out of his pocket and say, here it is. You can buy it next week. You can order it today. And Elon's saying, like, here's a Cybertruck coming in 30 months or 24 months or whenever it's going to arrive. This was a little bit of a different approach in, uh, in terms of showmanship and of sort of setting the future and then having the money come from customers almost like a Kickstarter. People forget that. People, the first hundred Roadster uh, buyers put down full deposits. It's kind of too bad that Apple doesn't spend more of that hoard on exactly what Tesla is doing. Yeah, they have taken the opposite approach. They actually have the cash. They have the cash, yet they don't deploy it. Right. Their biggest purchase of the last like uh, ten years was Beats for yeah. two billion. I think they probably spent as much and on that's that brand and marketing. Show that's with not Jennifer technology. Aniston. Yeah. Like it's probably about the same amount of money they were spending, like hundreds right. of millions on bad TV shows. Uh, it makes me sad that they're out of ideas. Then it is weird. Like people are actually love the stock. But it feels like they're out of ideas unless they maybe – do you think they have the AR glasses and they're just like, you know what? We're going to drop these. It's going to be so mind-blowing that we'll just put everything behind that. I hope so. We'll I hope find so. out. Yeah, we're going to find out very quick. Okay. And then very quickly, two versus seven, streaming versus mindfulness. Streaming. You went streaming? I'm kind of a hippie, so mindfulness for I sure. I went mindfulness yeah, as well because yeah, yeah. I thought streaming was – you know we had it, but mindfulness seems like a more acute issue. When we get back, we're going to take – then we're going to go from, uh, we just went from eight to four. We're going to go from four to two when we get back on This Week in Startups. You already know Zendesk because it's the world's best customer support system. We all use it. We all love it. But what you may not know is that they have an entire range of products now, and they call them the Zendesk Suite. And that includes 
integrated customer support that lets you track and prioritize and solve customer tickets across all channels in just one simple-to-use dashboard. And, of course, the Zendesk Guide. It's a knowledge base for your customers so they can solve their own problems quickly and easily. Plus, you get live chat. Yes, you don't need a separate company to get live chat. And you can engage with customers in real time. And, of course, there's a call center if you're one of the few people left who likes to pick up the phone. With all these customer support channels connected, it's going to be super easy for your agents to be hyper productive. And information is going to get shared across your company. So all those tickets could result in products getting better. All of this comes in a startup-friendly pricing package with a flat pricing structure. You get that flat rate, which is what you're looking for. Qualified startups, Defined as Series B or below and under 100 employees, which is probably most of you listening, can join the startup program and get Zendesk products for free for a full year. How's that for commitment? Zendesk loves the startup community. They came from the startup community and now they want to help you. If you're Series B and below, you're going to get it for a year for free. You got nothing to lose and you get to use the industry standard. Go to Zendesk.com slash twist to get that free first year. That's right. A year free. Can't do better than that at Zendesk.com slash twist. All right. It's our 2010 to 2020 bracketology. We've got Gary Tan with us. We've got Zach Colius, great investors. Um, we're now going into our second uh, round. We went from eight down to four. I had in my top bracket ride sharing versus Amazon Prime. No shocker there. I'm going with ride sharing. I think that and the gig economy and everything that came with it, the on-demand economy, and these two things are all related, Prime and ride-sharing, but I think ride-sharing has had a much bigger impact, uh, and it definitely defines the decade in terms of startups, being that Uber, Lyft, Postmates, Instacart, Airbnb, and all the gig economy are kind of part of the biggest uh, IPOs of the decade. Who did you pick in your top brackets, Gary? Uh, I went AIML over 4G just because... Man, this really did happen in the past 10 years. Uh, there was this competition for uh, identifying dogs versus cat photos. Yeah. Um, you know, in 2012, I think the error rate was something like 30% still. Uh, 2017, it got down to 2%, 3%, something like that. They stopped, they stopped counting it. They stopped doing the competition because it's better than humans. Absolutely better than humans. Like, it makes no sense that a human would do as good a job as a computer I'd... between that process. Well, but a few years ago, that would have been the total opposite. A few years ago, and you would have asked any computer scientist that question, they would have been like, oh, human, crush it. Just a few years ago. I mean, the rate of change. I think it's just a, I want to, I want to make my number one just the rate of technology change. Like the speed of technology change happening in the last 10 years is just unbelievable. And there is a perception out there that things are not changing. And I think because the startups that people see, the visual, the ones that are most, um, apparent to them are Airbnb and Uber and Lyft and things that seem, I don't know, kind of simplistic. They're not actually watching the deep tech going on here in the Valley. And, and those products haven't hit yet, maybe, in yeah. a lot of ways. I think most people struggle at the bottom end of the graph when when growth is happening, but it hasn't yet hit you know the hockey stick. They, they really just, they, they, they look at it and because it's not continuous, it's very discontinuous and it's very bumpy in both directions. People really struggle to conceptualize growth, but it's, but if you look at it like on the ground here and how broad based it is, it's like, it's so obvious. Like 20 years from now, we are going to live in a world that just doesn't even resemble what we live in today. Whereas the world today does sort of resemble what was here 20 years ago. Like it's not that different. It um, is not that different. The only exception would be the smartphone in your pocket. It's a big move. Which yeah. was a big one. But in the next 10 years, I, I like where you're going with that, Zach, because if you think about something like VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, yeah. people think that that's ridiculous. Yeah. And meanwhile, millions, tens of millions of people own quadcopters and are making HD videos of their vacations. And at the same time saying, it's impossible that these things will carry humans. Exactly. And it's like, you're flying one around your house at Thanksgiving and making HD videos. It's really not that different to put a human in that thing. It's just bigger batteries, bigger yeah. rotors, yeah. and those Better. are coming. Yeah. Yeah. When do you think those hit? 2024, 2025, 2026? When will we security. see those going I'm, to Oakland? 
that's got to be all um, actual safety regulation at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you also have some you have some issues with the quadcopters because you can't have a single rotor fail, and like if a single rotor fails, the whole thing goes down. So it's like it's a non-trivial you need to have problem. Eight or sixteen. It's a non-trivial problem, but they're going to get there. You can have them fail. They yeah. will ad- when they're at eight or sixteen. My understanding is so they're putting double ones, yeah. but they've already got people flying these over lakes. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. If a little quadcopter falls, it's probably just going to give you a headache. What's funny is you'll see it in China before you see it here. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're just like, a human died? Okay. What's your point? Like, we're making progress here. Like, they're going to have them going everywhere. All right. I had my Model 3 versus mindfulness. This was a tough one for me, but I went with mindfulness um, because I think the decade has been defined by people losing their goddamn minds. (laughs) People are, the number of people who are suffering from anxiety, depression, and who are acting out on social media and losing their minds. That will be, the when people define the decade, they're going to be like people losing their minds, Trump derangement syndrome, anxiety, whatever. So I went mindfulness. What did you go with, Gary? Yeah, mindfulness too. I mean, look, the... All of humanity is reforming into a global brain, right? This is yeah. what's happening through our phones. It's just obviously happening. Right. And we kind of don't know what is actually going to happen. Right. The loss of truth, the loss right. of the ability to discern reality is part of this craziness. People can't even figure out what is a fact anymore I, in a large part because of social media tribalism and the insanity on social media. I'm not sure if that's actually true. I think that's just sort of a a leftover from the stupidity of television. Like I think television created a dynamic where people were so brainwashed, they believed that what they saw was the truth. And yeah. boomers and old people who grew up in that world, they've carried that over into a world where anyone can put up anything on the internet. I mean, if you look at old people and the way they interact with the internet and Facebook, they're just so stupid and gullible that like, I think if you go to the millennial generation, I think they're pretty good at like understanding that it might what you're reading might be a lie, and then oh, maybe I should do a little googling and figure out the truth here. Like I think young people, I think are really going to take us to another place in understanding real that, truth as opposed to just sort of gullible stupidity like we have in these old people right you're now. You're right, but that's going to be the kids of privilege, and there are lots of kids who are not why privileged. True? Why is that? Why? 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 If everyone has the same phone. Why are the kids who are not privileged? They're just as smart. My they're brother, just as smart. My brother works with uh, with youth, um, sort of underprivileged youth, um, actually out in the East Bay, and that's one of the more remarkable things. Like they will watch a YouTube video and they can't tell wow. is this real or not, right? And um, their parents aren't there, maybe to right. and assist them. Not, that's why it's privilege. Because if your parents are there, your parents will say, "Hey, there's something." Here's wrong. how to navigate. Right. Here's Here's how to look it up. Like here's Snopes.com uh, or whatever it is, right? Well, they say this about schools too, that the the real corollary between performance in school is parents' involvement in the schools. And if you have two working parents or one working parent, maybe there's just not enough time in the day for them to be involved in going to the school every day. Whereas in a traditional family with, uh, or what was the traditional American family, one person working, one person not, maybe more time was spent at school or flexible yeah. schedules. So, I mean, parents should be, you know, you, we were pro- as parent, both of us are parents. As parents, we're supposed to be programming our human intelligences, and a yeah. lot of people don't. And if you don't, what that means is corporations and the media will program your children for the you. Algorithm, probably yeah, the algorithm will. Yeah, exactly. That's why I got rid of YouTube at the house. I was like, this thing is sending, you know, my my ten year old down a rabbit hole that I do not want her going down. And just I deleted YouTube off of the iPads and everything, and I said, you know, listen, well, let's pick really great movies or TV shows that we'll watch together. We'll curate them a bit. And so I had her watch Blade Runner, Bicentennial Man, AI, like the whole series of replicants and artificial intelligence. And we watched them. And some of the movies were boring to her, but at least we got to talk about those like bigger themes as opposed to a media diet built up of whatever the YouTube algorithm is sending people towards, which is really scary. It gets dark fast. Yeah. So what did you pick in your bracket, Zach? I'm going streaming. I'm I'm I believe basically streaming is the first step to basically the matrix and that's just we're all over it. So I'm going to I'm going to run streaming all the way to the to the victory. <laughs> all right, so then you had prime versus streaming or what'd you have? AI versus streaming? I, in your final bracket. In the final bracket basically I, yeah, I was I picked ride sharing cuz I think you're right. I think the gig economy 
as a representation of ride sharing is truly amazing. I mean, like moving away from this sort of binary, you're employed or unemployed, it's just such a movement away from stupidity. Like, I mean, like this whole like what employment means is like, oh, you have to have a full time job and you have to go to office at a certain point in time. It's just it's such an anachronism. And like we need to break down all of the sort of structures that have been built around that. And, you know, Travis and Uber and everyone else who basically moved the ball forward with like saying, like, let's take all these stupid laws and just ignore them. And like, let's yeah. go, like, let's do cool stuff. Like, that's God's work. Like, I'm, I'm very proud, like, to, to basically like have been part of that generation that helped break that down. It makes me angry. So your ride final sharing. is ride, ride sharing, sharing. But I, but, but I, my, my final winner was streaming because it's the future right. of the matrix. So your win streaming is the big win for you. Uh, AI, ML versus mindfulness. And hey, man, I'm an optimist. I think that, you know, we're going to beat this thing. It's, you know, human over machine. <laughs> I think that people are actually going to find their better natures. Um, wow. You know, we're going to find some way to make social media good. You know, parents are going to take care of their kids. Um, hopefully, honestly, the people who create the social networks, we're going to find a way to make a better global brain. Wow. So you went mindfulness. Oh, yeah, all the way. I also went mindfulness. It's so weird that thinking that humans can become aware of their own psychology and become self-possessed will actually be the yeah. big win in a world in which people lost control of their own emotional yeah. state because of their devices. That's what my YouTube channel is about. Yes. <laughs> it's about mindfulness and how founders need to actually take care of that. It's almost like we're diametrically opposed. I believe people will be the opiate of the masses of entertainment yeah, will that's... basically solve for it. And you actually believe people will suddenly become aware and cognizant and like actually care. Well, I want to fund those those things. I, w I want to fund the things that will move humanity to the, the vision that uh, is not Black Mirror. All right. When we get back from this quick break, we're going to talk about the disasters and then see which disasters wound up winning the day, and then if darkness or the light prevail when we get back on this week in startups. All right, you guys know LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn all day. Me too. We love it. There's over 600 million members. What you might not know is that 62 million business decision makers visit there. That's right. And 71% of people use information from LinkedIn to make informed business decisions. All of your future customers are hanging out on LinkedIn right now. When you advertise on LinkedIn, you find both these customers and you build long-term relationships with them. Well, LinkedIn ads drive the results you care about most. And LinkedIn's powerful targeting helps you reach the right audience, right down to their job title, right down to the company name and the industry and more. Here is my marketing manager, Maureen, creating an open office hours lead gen campaign. Open office hours is how I meet the next generations of companies that I want to invest in. And here she is. She's looking for founders, co-founders. She sets a budget, 25 bucks a day. She puts the ad up. She uploads the text. And boom, she says, apply now. Here's the form. And look at that. In minutes, we have a campaign up and running. And we get founders to apply to come ask me questions at open office hours, which become episodes of this very podcast. And that's how we get our funnel going. We use LinkedIn to find great founders that we can invest in. I want to give you $100. What? Yep, that's right. I'm going to give you $100 right now in LinkedIn ad credits. And I'm going to let you launch your first campaign by going directly to linkedin.com slash this week in startups. No spaces, no dashes. LinkedIn.com, you know that, slash this week in startups. If you type out this week in startups, you get $100. It's that simple. Terms and conditions, of course, apply because we're giving you a hundy. But you're going to love it. LinkedIn marketing works. Go get the hundy. Let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. Gary and I picked mindfulness as our champion for the last decade. Oh, Zach picked streaming, the, the opiate of the masses. And I, I will say, being able to get four or five superhero movies a year and Star Wars movies a year is literally like for an 80s kid, it's everything you could have hoped for. Because we used to get what, like one Star Wars film every three or four years, one Indiana Jones every three or four years, and we got Superman, and that was it. Maybe oh, Superman and Batman. Those are the that was the extent of it. Every couple of years. Now, oh my God, I can't keep up with it. And this Mandalorian's amazing. Watchmen, the new series, amazing. It's too much good stuff. I mean, I may change my vote back to streaming, <laughs> but I'm gonna hopefully don't do go, it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm stick gonna with go. the light side. Bread and stick circuses. Bread and circuses. Bread and circuses. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So for our disasters, the election fiasco, uh, interpret that as you will, Russian interference, 
Cambridge Analytica uh, versus Snowflake Culture. That's really interesting. Uh, ICO Madness versus Zuckerberg, both equally loathsome in my mind. WeWork versus Vaping, uh, both unmitigated disasters. And Theranos versus Juicero. Uh, I think I know where I'm going on that one. So let's start with the election fa- fiasco, Trump being elected, et cetera, versus the Snowflake Culture. What did you go with, Zach? So my wild card was not the Snowflake Culture. It okay. was the city of San Francisco, ah, which is an shoot. unmitigated wow. disaster. Ah, oh, unmitigated like, disaster. In the last wow, that wins years, the whole thing. Like, <laughs> we have, oh, we have, and, and I have, a, I have a theory on this, and my theory is, is that like, wow. we we have been part of really one of the most amazing periods of time, truly a renaissance of opportunity for smart young people to come out here and build world changing companies, world changing ideas, and just to testimony really, to do absolutely we all yeah, are right here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and i think the the unfortunately talent is a zero-sum game and so the city of san francisco unfortunately has been the loser in that balance where people here are making billions of dollars and changing the world but are not busy working on the problems that really need to be solved in this city so instead we have basically the ideologues which is really one of the biggest problems for this city. It's just ideology, like just Trump's rationality, and it drives me crazy. And we have basically people who are lazy and incompetent and can't do anything. So it's terrible. We literally have the most competent people in the world building the largest products, projects, companies, whatever, however you want to frame it, that are impacting the globe. Yet we have the most incompetent people who are not capable of running a city with a very small amount of people. It's seven miles by why. seven miles. All why? of tech, all of tech taken together, yeah. only 10% or less of the voting populace. So we are yeah. literally a minority that is being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Right. We're hated. Uh, deeply hated. And, and I can understand resentment. I mean, I'm a townie. I grew up in the Bay Area. So Yeah, you're local. Yeah, but and tech, tech actually tech. changed my life fundamentally. I mean, I grew up relatively poor actually and uh i got my first job flipping to the internet section when i was 14 i helped my parents buy their first house uh because i got that job making web pages and so tech put me in this place right now right and people in the bay area they just don't even think that that's what happens it's very weird the ideology of the summer of love and permissiveness and openness which was the beautiful part of the history of San Francisco, um, which is why so many uh, different type of people uh, were able to call this place home without fear of being murdered or shot or beaten in the streets. That same permissiveness seems to have been applied to methamphetamine, opioids, dealing drugs in the streets, and having a no uh, prosecute- no crime. No crime. You're like, like you now, it's no longer a crime to break into someone's car, or like as long as you don't hurt somebody, it's not considered a crime anymore. Like you're. And where yeah. does that lead eventually? It leads to crime gangs and people who are addicted to drugs seeing this as the best city to move to. So the city has become the best place for two types of people: best place to build an at scale technology company, and the best place to get drugs and not be arrested. It's a very weird combination to be known for. It's a disaster. Unmitigated disaster. I this think it changes everything for me. If I had known this. Yes. I think see, that wins the bracket. Well, I, I think, I'm, I I think I'd, I'd have to move this to the two seed or the one seed. I think like, for me, the election fiasco, I'm try, yeah, trying to figure yeah. out if that beats San Francisco. I'm going to give it some thought here. I mean, the, I, so I personally really struggled with the election fiasco. I think the, our, the institutions of America have done a pretty good job keeping Trump from doing as much damage as we all thought he would do. I mean, he's done a lot. But, I mean, like, what he did to the Kurds, I mean, God, he should go to jail just for that alone. Like, I mean, he's so bad. But, like, I think our institutions have been pretty strong. But what scares me is that, like... The the reason why he was elected, the the movement away from truth, the movement that like the gullibility of the stupid old people, like is is that's a long term problem that's not going to go away, and that's terrifying to me. What's going to happen over the next decade as a result of that? So I'm, oh. I'm 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 really scared by that too. I went with the election. Yeah, I think that it's unclear if Trump successfully won because of interference. It seems. It's obvious there was interference. I believe that if it if it did tip in his favor and was the reason he won, 
that would have been leaked by now. There's a non-zero chance the election was actually hacked. So I started a company back in 2002 that did one of the first online voter registration absentee ballot systems. So we were like really early with the internet and, and voting. And we basically got put on the committee. They basically chose the voting machines for the city or for the state of Minnesota, where I was from. And so I actually got a deep dive into the way that the voting technology works. And a lot of my friends are still there. And the one, the level of just raw incompetence, the, the technology is really 20 years old right now and has not been updated in 20 years. The biggest voting machine manufacturer in America is owned by a Russian oligarch. Um, I mean, like, there's a long list of vectors into actually hacking the election. And so, like, the actual votes, the voting machines, you don't have to move that many votes in Ohio, Florida, and a few other states Mm. to change an election. Like, everyone argues that... Don't you think that would come out, though, after this level of investigation and the the motivation of people on the left to actually release it since we've had everything else leaked? So my friends who who are deep in this basically say that there are a lot of red flags, but everyone who's in power is so terrified by delegitimizing the election itself that that if they started talking about the red flags that were in there, people would no longer believe that elections were valid anymore and they feel that the delegitimization of the election itself is more damaging than basically sharing the fact that like there's a good chance the election was actually hacked. Like hacking the voting machines. Hmm. Gary, what did you pick in your one and eight? Now that we know that nothing is real. Honestly, I need to switch results. my vote to San Francisco. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> I mean, these both of these things. I mean, I put Amazon on the disaster side because it's probably uh, the only tech company. I mean, this is also a new thing. Right. Uh, if you look at the S&P 500, I think it's 40 percent of the market value. And that wasn't true at the start of this decade. And right. so, you know, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, all of these guys, they are great companies that are only doing software. Right. Amazon is the one that the Fortune 500 really should be worried about because they don't care. They'll touch atoms. They'll open warehouses. They'll bring the margins all, all the way down to zero. There might not be another company other than the other four com- the other four big tech companies that do software and Amazon. I mean, that's, I think, could happen. So the consolidation of power at Amazon and their raw ambition to you is a disastrous for our society. In fact, it's just incredible amounts of power in the hands of one corporation. Are you pro uh, some sort of limitation of the size of these companies now? There's been talk of just picking an arbitrary number, trillion dollars or whatever, or some percentage of market share and just saying that's enough, which is what Korea does as well. Like I think you can have 70% of the market if you're like the telecom company and then you have to divest after that. Right. I think it gets dangerous because government obviously has... There are a lot of unintended consequences when people start messing around there. So I don't really know what the right thing to do there is. Yeah, I mean, and that is, we are in uncharted territory. If we were to limit the growth of the major companies, does that mean we give the doorway uh, and and an open lane to Chinese companies, which are essentially... Peter Thiel talks about AI as uh, it's fascist. Right. AI is fascist because it consolidates power and data and decision-making in the hands of the few. Hmm. He does not seem wrong in this case. He's wrong about a lot of things, but in this case, he might be right. Okay, next up, ICO Madness versus Zuckerberg. Who did you pick as being more disastrous for society in the industry? Which is a bigger disaster? I'm still a Zuckerberg fan. What? Yeah, I... I, I, I look at the scale of what he's done and I look at any of my companies and I say, when they start to scale, things start to break and all sorts of bad things happen. That's just the nature of startups. And I look at the scale of what he's done and yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to break and a lot of bad things are going to happen. But I still do believe that the original thesis of connecting the world is should lead to a better world. And I believe that he's doing the best he can to, to operate at the scale that they're operating at, which is super hard. And there's a whole bunch of disasters in there. But like, I think he's done a pretty good job relative to like how hard that must Counter- be. Counterpoint, Gary? You know what? I actually kind of agree. Oh! <laughs> it's actually hard. You know, Zuck has done a lot of stuff that probably, again, was unintended consequence. Yeah. And you know, I, I think this is a testament to these big tech companies are so powerful that they're starting to resemble governments. Right. And so my worry for, you know, government power is sort of the same worry that I have for really huge tech companies. You know, 
Zuckerberg and Facebook included. Deciding what is yeah. permissible speech as an example. But I think Zuck is doing, I, I do think he's doing his best. Yeah. But the problem is his best might not be good enough. Yeah, I think he's very unsophisticated. I think he doesn't understand human nature very well. I think he is a machine when it comes to stealing other people's ideas. And the thing I find most offensive of, about him is his ability to just steal from other entrepreneurs, copy what they do, and just basically annihilate them with his Borg-like tendencies. As bad as the ICOs were, it was a small crater. Uh, oh, with I chose ICOs simply because there were so many charlatans. There are so many people who literally just stole money from actually the Uber drivers we were talking about earlier, yeah. right? And they cashed out. Like they, you know, so many normal people, average Americans, average people in Korea, all over the world, Bought put into their the life stupidity. savings. Put their life savings in this stuff, and all the while, someone else on the other end was selling. And you know, they've got their Lambos, and you know, I, I'm curious if you go to Ibiza right now, how many of those people are just you know crypto people who are just on the beach? Oh, it's so loathsome. But I think Zuckerberg had a more negative impact. We work or vaping? Hmm. We work or vaping? Which I, one was a bigger disaster? I, I I actually am not sure that vaping is as horrible as everyone thinks it is. Like I think if we if we moved everyone off of cigarettes onto vaping, the net gain in terms of life is so gargantuan that I think it, the cost is very real, right? Like addicting kids to this, you know, high nicotine fruit flavors is just loads some horrible, evil shit. Yeah. But compared to compared to like the, the, the number of people who die from painful lung cancer every year because of cigarettes, I'd like to see that gone. And I think it's, I think it's a, a trade I'd be willing to make. So let's serve two evils then. Yeah. It's a lesser of two evils. They're both evil, but I want to get rid of cigarettes so bad. So plus, uh, yeah. I mean, I chose vaping simply because it seems like wolf in sheep's, you know, in sheep's clothing, yeah. right? It, I mean, it, they willfully went out and tried to get people addicted who wouldn't have, maybe wouldn't have tried cigarettes. Yeah, and right. so that's net worse. Yeah. We work mispriced asset, uh, you know. I, I, it's interesting. I think the vaping, if you, I agree, if it was a bridge to get off cigarettes, it's noble because you're not burning chemicals and... Yeah ingesting them uh, in the way uh, that you do with cigarettes. However, when you make pina colada flavor and you put a bunch of, and it looks like a Benetton ad, I think we know who you're targeting. You're targeting teenagers. Yeah. And that is as loathsome as it gets. That's evil. It's, it's pure evil. Yeah. They since have, since they got called out on and have reversed their position and they're trying to um, sort of reframe it. So good. Maybe society works. We have a little back and forth debate about it. Ultimately, I think the vaping um, will be regulated. Uh, and even the amount of nicotine in it, they could regulate the amount of nicotine that you're able to draw on these. And if they did that, if the cartridges could only have a certain amount of nicotine in it, it would feel like a bridge. And I've actually heard of pitches from founders who want to create vape pens that have a percentage of nicotine that would be slowly declining to to sort of get you off that as well, which is really Sounds interesting. Like a terrible business. Well, it would be if you succeed. Yeah, yeah. It's you like dating lose apps. your customer unless you get them to come off the nicotine, but you still have the behavioral habit of, you know, smoking. chewing gum. Maybe I don't know. Let, something well, else. or just to use the vape pen for the flavor, and it's just a fun social thing to do to vape for the oral fixation of it all. But I think WeWork represents. A fundamental, a fundamentally okay business, but horrible governance, and the horrible governance to me is unforgivable. And you went to Y Combinator during the era of, I think you would admit, Paul Graham was uh, skeptical of uh, and wanted to protect the founders from investors, right? And that has maybe tipped over into investors having no say. Now you're an investor when you try to bring up governance with companies. People expect no governance, do they right. not? Yes. Well, we take board seats now, so it's right. a different thing. But when you were in YC, it was like no board seats, no governance, just convertible notes, saves, don't have any governance. I mean, honestly, now I go on board seats to try to um, be the right referee in between what, you know, the worst impulses of founders and the worst impulses of the rest of the board. Yeah. And we need governance. And for me, we work then wins versus vaping. Two versus seven is kind of fun. Juicero, which everybody remembers as a um, 
instant juicing company that was basically a bag of chopped up vegetables you could squeeze and have the juice come out, or you could buy an $800 machine to do the squeezing for you. It was kind of an embarrassment. That's the excess of ego of various venture capitalists. Yeah. It was very ego uh, driven, but Theranos was an outright fraud of epic proportions. Yeah. Pretty easy. I think we're all going to pick Theranos. (laughs) Pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah. All right. So up top, what do you have in your second round here? Uh, I've got I've got elections. The, the, I mean, I, I I chose the Trump thing, uh, and then the ICO fraud. Uh, and which one makes it to your? Uh, you know, I'm 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 going to carry I'm going to carry the election. I mean, it's it's okay. it's so terrifying for me what will happen in the next um, decade as a result of consequences here. Okay, and what did you pick? Uh, I had what Amazon versus ICOs, and honestly, I think Amazon is touching every. You know, it's it's more corporate power. Through tech mm. is just it, it it's risen this decade. It's just getting started, and so that's you know far scarier to me. The ICO madness is over. Amazon is not. Yeah, it seems like the SEC, though slow, made it pretty clear. You guys need to stop the shenanigans. If you're going to do a securities offering, it's a securities offering, unless you really prove to us that this is a utility token. We're going to assume it's not. And this idea of selling future tokens. That might or may not be utility. That seemed to break the back of the SEC, and then they just went ham on and made examples of people. But I went with Zuck. I think he represents everything that went wrong in the last decade: uh, governance uh, and too much power and too much breaking things without thinking of the impact on society. I think it was the end of a certain hacker aesthetic, which was move fast, break things. You can't move fast and break things when the democracy that enabled you to build those things and the freedom that you had to build them gets broken because of your uh, the scale of your company. I did hear a crazy thing about uh, Clinton versus Trump in terms of the uh, cost per ad. And this is a natural part of how ad networks actually work. Uh, Trump actually paid, I think, about a dollar. Clinton paid $10 just because of the click-through rate. Because you had click-through rate, um, Trump right. could pay 10 times less. And that would be illegal if you were a radio ad, a newspaper, any other. I mean, the, the, I mean so I'm an ad tech guy. Yeah. And like this all comes down to Clinton was incompetent. Like she hired incompetent people who didn't understand how to run those programs. And if she'd hired competent people or even just let Facebook send their people over to show her people how to do it, she would have gotten the same price that he got. So I think the rules, as long as the rules are fairly applied to b- both candidates, like, yeah. That's, that's what, their what fault. What about Twitter just saying, you know what, we're going to take this election off? This it's, seemed to be a very mature idea. Why didn't Zuck do that? It's really problematic because if you think about – so think about Michael Bloomberg, right? Mm-hmm. Like we – I would love Michael Bloomberg oh, to be a real candidate. viable candidate here. Oh. Michael Bloomberg does not have the followers on Twitter. He does not have the, the, the presence that a lot of these people who do nothing but scream into the, into the ether all day do. And so his ability to get his message out there is dependent on his – either his ability to personally fund it or our ability to help him fund it to get that message out there. And so paid political speech – speech is a very important thing for democracy because you want to have the ability for voices that are not just populist voices to spread their message and by preventing him from doing that I think we're I think they're, they're doing a disservice so they pulled to, up the ladder they pulled up the ladder and they're preventing basically new like, entrants from getting scale what do you think Gary should Zuck do what Jack did and turn off political ads for one election just sit it out was that a good move or a bad move do you think history will look at it I think it's sort of inevitable that, uh, you know, the same sort of media standards that are applied to traditional media probably should apply to social media. Hmm. Yeah, it would have been good if they just said you can use the ads, but you can't target them at this level of granularity. So you can do it by state, maybe, but you can't do it down to the individual. No No retargeting, none of this like sophisticated stuff. You can just buy ads generally by state and come up with a a less micro-targeting, which feels... Like you can abuse it much more with stolen data. Yeah. I mean, media is so fundamental to society that uh, you, know, you could kind of argue that World War sort of broke out, at least partially because of mass literacy in newspapers, yeah, right? And so this is not a little bit important. This is a lot important. This yeah. is really important. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the history of the printing press, I mean, more people died as a result of what the printing press being invented than really many other periods in all of history. Like, because it created this concept of nationalism, which created this concept of my nation versus your nation, which then led to all these big armies, which led to all this death. And so, like, there's there's good reasons to believe 
believe that like we're in a similar period in history where like a lot of people are going to die because of this. Like, well, it feels like Hong Kong is the most underreported story of the last year. I mean, a million plus citizens going out and taking on the Chinese government, which is not has the doesn't have the greatest history of, you know, tolerating dissent. Yeah. If you just think about Tiananmen Square, I mean, they re- literally rolled tanks over young protesters. Feels like Hong Kong is about to boil over. Could be dangerous. Scary times. Scary times. We work for. I, I had we work versus Theranos. To me, <laughs> I think Theranos is the most deranged, insane story ever. To like literally fake blood tests is a level of insanity that you you would have a hard time as a fiction writer. Michael Crichton would have a hard time making it believable in one of his novels. So I just went all Theranos. You know, what's funny and shocking to me was how long it took for it to come out. Um, I remember my old partner, Harj Tagger, who hired me at Y Combinator. Uh, he was starting a startup in the health space. He heard about Theranos. He went to Walgreens in Palo Alto after the announce saying, hey, you can do a one, one drop of blood blood test now. And he could not get them to do a single one. Huh. And that was probably a year, at least a year, maybe a year and a half before um, the Wall Street Journal article. It was buzzing. And you also had the former, what was the French guy who was worked at Apple did the same thing. He had his blood test done. They didn't do the microvial at Walgreens. And then he also had, this, had Jean-Louis Gassier. He had, um, who worked at Apple for, for jobs in France. He also then had Stanford blood do it and then wrote multiple letters on his blog and was emailing Elizabeth saying, look. Here's the data. It doesn't work. It doesn't match. Stanford says something different. And then they restated his blood test. And you're like, wait a second. Who restates a blood test? That doesn't seem like something that gets restated. I had had a personal experience with like a, almost like a cold poker read where I was at a, um, like sort of a celebratory banquet and they were honoring Elizabeth Holmes and she got up to talk. And I remember it, like it like hit me like a bolt of lightning. I don't even know what she said, but I turned to my now ex and I was like, that woman's a fraud. And she was like, oh, no, no, no. She's real. All the I was like, I have no idea how I know this, but she's a fraud. It was like, like a poker read where you're like, that guy's bluffing. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I can tell. And yeah. It's, it's I mean, some... I think, that, you know, I had Theranos go all the way simply because it's the worst thing that's happening in the Valley. It's been happening for the longest time. And maybe not even be, it's probably not even a Valley thing. It's probably just business. a pure business thing. People just are sociopaths and we run across them every single day. They run around, they keep doing business and, you know, only when they're very, very bad at what they do, do they get caught in this way. You can you can keep the fraud up for a, a surprisingly long period of time Bernie Madoff comes to mind mm-hmm. you know and in a way it's interesting how they the journalists put uh, Elizabeth on the cover of every magazine as often as possible and you have to think the fact that she was photogenic and a female founder that they wanted to have their you know Steve Jobs and she wanted to be that which is so deranged that she was imitating Jobs down to the 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 outfits yeah i mean it was like black turtleneck she literally was trying to imitate steve jobs well the trial is going to be down the street i think uh early next year and i hear that those seats are starting to sell they're selling out i'm just kidding i I don't know how to get the tickets i don't know how you get the tickets i think there'll be hot tickets yeah it's going to be amazing when the movie comes out as well with i guess jennifer lawrence is playing her Hmm. which seems like the perfect casting to me um, okay, so that put me in our championship round. I have mindfulness versus Zuck. What do you have? Mindfulness versus Theranos. Okay. <laughs> Insanity versus equanimity. What do you have, Zach? S- streaming and the opiate of the masses versus the election and the, the, the poisoned chalice oh, of oh, um, wow. the lies that have permeated our uh, our political discourse. All right, this has been a lot of fun. Gary Tan, thanks for doing it. Zach Colius, thanks for doing it. If you need to get your company funded... Uh, email us. Uh, one it's lucky listener will get their company funded today. Um, what stage do you guys like to meet companies? What's the ideal Goldilocks zone for initialize? When uh, do you most love to meet a company? I mean, seed uh, checks of a million to five million, but it's hard to believe that five million is maybe a seed still. So weird. When we came up, that would be a big A. Yeah, that's an A. 
Yeah, five million for a third of your company or a quarter of your company would be like a strong A. That's right. Back in the day, Zach, when do you like to engage? Uh, seed early. Some checks are two hundred up to a couple million. But I so like this to means young. Generally, having the product in market in a couple of customers feels good. The first hint of product market fit is what I look for. Ah. That that sense, that little bit of smoke that comes when you have a tiny bit of traction, and you can enunciate it before the graphs sort of like have month over month growth, where any VC can extend the line. Mm-hmm. Like I like to get, I like to front run the VCs and grab it right ah. before that. So there's like a little smoldering in the uh, kindling of the fire, but we don't have a campfire yeah. yet. Usually they can enunciate it in like usually like so you talk when I talk to founders when they're still at the idea stage, they'll be like, oh, what do you do? And they'll be like, I do this and this, and there's all these and and and, and. and then when they find it. It just it dramatically simplifies. It crystallizes. It becomes this like, oh, we do this, and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Because then I can call their customers and be like, what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, I want that. So it's just to be able to. There's a tell where it's a crisp ability to define why you exist in the world, and customers who will repeat that and reflect it back to you. Yeah, you, you just find it, and when you find it, it's obvious to everyone. Mm-hmm. So I I, like I, I I try to be right there when that happens. Yeah. What's funny is I don't actually care about customers yet. I'd rather have a complete team and then a direction that basically society needs. If I believe that there could be product market fit. Gary's uh, much smarter than I am. He can see that line and like actually right. extend it. I'm too dumb to do that. I just I wait till they've found it and then I like to get involved. Yeah. Okay, here we go. We're going to go to our final picks. Gary, you had mindfulness versus Theranos. You had pure madness versus equanimity. Oh, yeah. Who won out for you? Oh, man. I mean, I'm an optimist. You know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that, uh, you know, technology is going to remake society, hopefully uh, in a better way. I and love it. So mindfulness wins for you. I think so. This is particularly um, particularly joyful for me considering I own 5% of com.com. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is literally the first syndicate I ever did. That's amazing. And they... Gar- uh, um, Alex and uh, Michael from Calm, who had LeBron James as their spokesperson announced yesterday, which is mind-blowing to me, told me last year we were going to shut the company down if we didn't get that $378,000 from you. When you talk about the meaningfulness of being an investor and an early supporter, like to me, that one is probably the most meaningful bet of my career. I mean, even beyond Uber, which would have succeeded with or without me, it feels like maybe Calm wouldn't have made it or at least they told me it wouldn't have made it. You made the world a better place. You truly are an angel. I feel like you're <laughs> really significant. You know, I was talking to my wife last night about this, and I was like, it actually makes me feel really good. Yeah. She's yeah. like, how come you're so optimistic about it? I was like, you know, kind of like when you have a win like Calm or a win like Uber, it just makes you feel like you know, all the losses were worth it. Yeah. All the pain and suffering was worth it because those things became so humanity positive. What did you have? You had ride sharing? So, no, my my final was streaming. The oh, opi- streaming, the right. Opiate, opiate of the, the masses, masses versus, versus basically the destruction of truth um, and Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, I'm not an optimist. I'm I'm, I'm I'm a cynic when it comes to a lot of these things. And I'm I'm terrified about the destruction of truth. Um, and that won it for you that, for that the decade. That to me is the, the most terrifying. Because, I mean, the consequences are we are truly – I mean, they, we, we could no longer be in a democracy in our lifetimes. And that, that fucking scares the shit out of me. Like, I, truly scares me. So that defines the decade for you. The dark side one. The dark side one. Gary, for you, the light side one. Yeah. And I'm sitting here with mindfulness as well, the light side, and looking at the dark Sith Lord Zuckerberg. Oh, yes. <laughs> which one had a more profound impact and I am the tie-breaking vote at this point in time. Was it the dark or the light that wins ultimately? And you're the host. No so matter what you say is really yeah. the winner. It doesn't matter. No. I mean, we, we, we each, each of our votes counts. And we'll look back on this. It would be very interesting for people 20 years to look back at this moment where we're trying to make sense of it in the moment. In the moment, what will ultimately prevail? Zuckerberg creating a platform that allowed the amplification and the interference by a foreign despot, Putin, Get an insane person elected who has caused immeasurable damage to our democracy or namaste, people realizing that they need to take control of their own mental health. I'm on pins and needles waiting. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to make a decision here. 
But like you, Gary, I go with the light. All right. I yes. believe that mindfulness will conquer all people, will become more aware because of this disaster. And they will take ownership of their own mental health and turn off the Facebook and turn off the Twitter and say, I expect more from the world. And there's a generation that gives me hope, these Gen Z. They're looking at this saying, we are not opting into it. We will not opt into this madness. We're going to make our own world. And that makes me uh, positive. I, I might be wrong. I'll bet the under. You're going to bet the under. <laughs> uh, all right. This has been amazing. Thank you, everybody, for uh, getting involved. And uh, as we wrap up here, what do you think we'll be talking about in 10 years? What do you think the 20s will be defined as? What do you think? Because we have all these overhangs. We have AI is going to be making. We, maybe we get to general AI, um, self-driving, VTOLs, transportation changes. So I just uh, committed to write a check into a company that's building technology for tracking carbon. And so in the process, I sort of did a little back of the envelope sort of math on carbon. And um, so right now we're releasing carbon into the atmosphere. It's, we're not... It's free, right? Well, we're not charging for it, but you know, it really should be about forty dollars a ton, give or take, um, if we were going to start charging for it to to save the environment. And if we don't start charging for it, we're screwed. There must be a carbon tax or something equivalent, or we are truly all going to die horrible deaths in the next ten years. So we have to start pricing. Carbon. You believe that's a ten-year window? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, because we already have the feedback loop where because the the permafrost is thawing, it's releasing large amounts of carbon into the atmosphere that was previously locked up in ice, and so it's causing the the feedback. Back, but we might already be screwed. So, like, I, I truly believe that we, if we don't start charging for carbon correctly, which is forty dollars a ton, we are going to die. Um, that's forty trillion dollars a year of GDP that currently is not being priced or measured. It's just being released in the atmosphere that must be priced if we are going to live. So, forty trillion dollars a year, um, the biggest market of all time. Um, so, yeah, I think the next ten years we will be talking about that. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think, Gary? On the disaster side, you know, we have Theranos, which is, I mean, certainly not a failure of imagination. She was pointed at a direction that, uh, if it was real, could have really pushed forward society. Yeah. Uh, and then on the flip side, you have Zuckerberg, who is an amazing engineer, product person, built great teams, who is really real, but could be more mindful, mm -hmm. right? And I think that the next oh, honestly the next 10 years is my it's my hope that and i hope that we get to fund them i hope that we fund people who are incredibly great engineers pointed the right direction who are real and then that you know that's what my youtube channel is about so find that's me on youtube he's a genius he just tied it together so smoothly i love it i love it <laughs> truly genius i i think there's going to be four things that are going to just be Huge factors over the next 10, perhaps 20, but I'm going to put it at 10. Uh, I think in the next decade, we're going to cure cancer. Uh, and it's it's going to change how we look at lifespan. Mm -hmm. um, and that is going to just be uh, a colossal win for society. People will get older and wiser and participate in society. And maybe the average life expectancy will go up 20 years. You really cancer, think the old people are that wise? I, I think it's going to, it's going to create... A multi-generational discourse that does not exist today where, you know, we have maybe three generations kind of thinking things through. You're going to have start to have five or six generations. And hopefully our generation, Gen X, will be the first to experience the end of cancer. So the idea of our friends dying of cancer, we don't we haven't experienced this in large part. We don't have a bunch of friends with cancer, correct? Our parents uh, or, or the people. Uh, of one of my closest I, friends I just got cancer. Yeah. Which one is, of your closest friends, right? Yeah. And I'm sorry for that. And my parents are both cancer survivors. So this idea that surviving cancer is the likely scenario will be eliminating cancer. You wouldn't have to survive it because you won't get it. This could be have big ramifications. Hope right. um, but I think we're going to have a revolution in China. And I think that it's a, it's a non-zero chance back to that. Now, it's not the majority chance, yeah. but a revolution in China, there is no way for us to factor in the impact of a literal revolution, people fighting each other and the government, hundreds of millions of people potentially having their lives at risk in an all-out war in a place that has been the same for hundreds to thousands of years. I also think nuclear is going to save the day. Mm. Nuclear energy, small nukes, which mm. people like Gates and Y Combinator and a number of people, I don't know if you have an investment in the space. You do? Sorry? You have an investment in the nuclear space? I don't. I think new nuclear is going to solve for energy. 
And I think the realization is going to happen in a very profound way that we are past the tipping point uh, for global warming and that creating hundreds of small nuclear reactors in the world is a, a lower price to pay dealing with that yeah. than dealing with the storms, the fires, the floods, yeah. and, and just watching the oceans boil yeah. and, and having the Great Barrier Reef disappear and all other uh, beautiful things in the world. And then finally, and this one might be more 2030, but I think this eugenics, mm -hmm. this ability to flip genes and create a superior race is something that China's already dabbling in. If you remember the Lili uh, and the yeah. twins who had their HIV genes, uh, resistance to HIV flipped, who knows if it worked or not. The Chinese are clearly working on this. Uh, and this could be uh, quite mind-blowing in and of itself. Imagine if a country decides, we're going to give everybody an extra 10 or 20 IQ points on average by flipping these genes or give them 20% more physical strength or give them the ability to sleep less and focus more. We could be up against a communist country like China deciding to follow some master plan in the way the Nazis did and create a superior race. And that might even dovetail with the revolution in that country could be driven by this. This sounds like science fiction. But this is the reality of CRISPR that is actually being tinkered with today with, with some dramatic results. All of these things are related. So um, if we make it to 2029, I'd like to invite you to both come back and then we'll do this again. You guys locked in? Yeah, yeah. All right, send the G calendar. I'm if in. Google's still around, we'll send the G calendar invite now. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.